I tend to mm-hmm. think of suicidal ideology and depression as this boulder that we carry sometimes. If, if we don't have a couple other hands helping us keep that boulder up in our lives and we're just alone trying to handle it, at some point, the weight of the boulder is going to crush us. It's just a matter of time. How long can we hold on until we run out of strength? Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, and hopefully better conversations, with survivors. I want to thank all the survivors who have joined me on this podcast since we launched in July of 2020, and to everybody who listens. Thank you. And a nice announcement, as of this morning, we reached 11,000 downloads per month, which means more and more people are hearing these stories by these survivors. And that is a good thing. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. We've got a few different ways you can do that. Email hello at suicidenoted.com. Social media at Suicide Noted. That's for Facebook and Twitter. We also have a way you can leave us a recorded message. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And in the show notes, you'll also find a few other links, including an upcoming event on September 11th in which we have suicide attempt survivors sharing their personal stories and a couple of ways you can make a financial contribution. We need the help and we appreciate it if you are able and inclined. And oh, by the way, we did have somebody who contributed to the cause via the Red Circle platform. That's where we host this podcast. They do not give me your name or your contact information, just that you contributed. So whoever you are out there, Thank you very much. Now, please keep in mind, we're talking about suicide on this podcast. Take that into account before or as you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Fox. Fox lives in Texas and he is a suicide attempt survivor. We finally meet. Yes. Fox in Texas. I like the the sound of that. But it's really nice to put a name to a face, by the way. Like, oh, okay, now I know who you are. Now I can see you. You got it, man. I'm happy that you're here. I'm going to share a lot of stuff here that I've never told anyone. And I'm honestly, I'm at a point now where I feel like I can talk about a lot of it. I'm ready. Yeah? Yeah. So good. That's a good starting point. What changed in your life so that now you're ready? Do you have any idea? I don't really know. I think it's been enough time since a lot of some of the events have happened And I've made some life choices. Like I'm currently healing from my first tattoo. I got a semicolon tattoo on my arm and I got it a couple weeks ago and it's still healing. But I recently been making like the choice to stick around, try to do something with my life. I don't know. Recently, I think because I had originally been very much so like, I I don't don't think I'm going to, I don't think this is going to work out. But then there were some things I had to confront within myself that I... I'm dealing with it better. I feel like now I have a lot more intention to try to make things work out and to like do something with my life. And if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, as much sense as it can make, right? Yeah. 
That said, not that long ago, you put a one word in Spotify. I definitely searched it in because I was at such a dark place mentally to where I was like, I just need, if other people are in this headspace or have been in that headspace and are struggling in life and it's just like life is hard, I want to listen to people talk. And I want to listen to people share their stories. And I want to listen to what I'm not really hearing anywhere else. I wanted to be able to know that I wasn't so alone in some of the thoughts that I've had. I was like, man, if I'm always feeling like, man, I just want to die. Like there has to be something I can listen to that will help me a little bit. Thankfully, Mm. this podcast was there. And I saw this podcast. And at first I was listening. I was like, I don't know. This is where I'm at right now. And this is what I want to Mm-hmm. listen to people talk about because this is what's important to me right now i searched it up because i was like i was like i just want to hopefully listen to something that makes me feel a little bit less alone yeah helping people feel less shitty and less alone you nailed it that's it that's it you know the thing is is i get a lot i i'm not selfless of a guy it helps me too you can do a little bit for others and yourself simultaneously i mean that's fine so well listen i'm glad that you found it and it's helping at all and you're we're finally connecting. I know for sure that you have at least one attempt, however you define that. Yeah. How do you, this is always challenging. How do you want to start this part of it where we are ultimately learn more about your attempt or attempts? A lot of my depression, anxiety, and ideation started around, I'm pretty sure the beginning of adolescence. So I actually have a lot of it centered around religious trauma, I would say. I think when I was young, the first big moments of anxiety or when I was just so afraid of going to hell, I would say so many prayers every night. I had so much anxiety over that. Just before that started, it was like, I remember having a conversation in the mirror with myself where I said, I love myself. I like myself. I think I'm all right. Right after I said that to myself in the mirror, life was like, oh, you like yourself, huh? Hmm. Now these other things are going to happen. So I don't know what went down, but it's like after that, things just started happening. So I think that that's kind of where a lot of it started. And I can remember what I would say was an attempt. I didn't realize it was really an attempt because most of my attempts have been pretty mild, but they were still actions I was taking, which are rooted somewhere. So I remember around that time starting to hate myself and feeling anxious, worried that I was going to go to hell and just so scared about all those things. The first attempt was I remember lying down in my bedroom and I had these 10 pound free weights. Mm -hmm. I literally just like lied down and put the 10 pound free weight over my neck. I was like, this is choking me. Like, hopefully this makes me just go away. And it didn't, it was 10, I mean, it was 10 pounds. So it didn't, it didn't do much, but it was like, I remember doing that. I remember lying down and putting those weights over my neck, just wanting it to choke me out. Um, So that was probably the earliest attempt that I can recall. I must've been like 14. And when it doesn't work, you didn't tell anybody what's going to happen if you tell somebody, I don't know. You're dealing with other stuff though. You've, what you've called religious trauma. I was so worried that I think because I come from a very religious background. So how I would word it is that I was so worried that my salvation or my, oh, I'm going to be safe. And when I die, I'm not going to go to a bad place. I kept worrying that that was somehow always at risk of being lost, mm-hmm. always at risk of being taken mm-hmm. away. It didn't mix well with OCD. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so yeah, I think the next time things started to happen would have been senior year of high school. I started to get a lot of anxiety about college. 
um, didn't have many plans. And I remember having, I would tend to self-harm. So I'd usually cut on my legs or arms. I think I started to pick up self-harm senior year of high school. I remember sharing that information with one person in high school, and then they ended up telling their parents and those parents told my parents. I mean, I went to a, a private Christian high school, so mm-hmm. we traveled pretty fast. We had a class of like 40 kids in our class. It's a pretty small, small net community. So yeah, that's when that started. Wasn't really an attempt, but it was self, that was when self-harm started. The next attempt happened in 2018 when I realized that I was gay. So how old are you now? I'm 25. So some time goes by. So in your late teens and early 20s, are you ideating every day? I would say it would come in waves. Usually it was in spurts. I would even say ever since I was young in that adolescent age, I always kept thinking that I was not going to make it. Just right. in life in general, I had to say, I was like, I'm going to die by suicide. Like that's how I'm going to die. So since I was so little, I was like, I'm not going to make it to 22. I'm not going to make it to 25. I'm not going to make it to 30. No way in hell am I going to make it to 30. And I was like, that started so young. And I was like, why do I, why do I think that? But mm. yeah, I would, I would think of him. I was like, I just like, that's how I die. That's how I go is suicide. That idea has been in my head ever since I was like 15 or 14. Maybe you were born that way. It's possible. I mean, who knows? Do you have a specific yeah. method in mind? No, but I think as I got older, it was usually like, oh yeah, I'm just probably going to shoot myself in the head. The idea would be to like, go drive out to take my car, drive out somewhere in the middle of nowhere in some other state where nobody knows where I am, have my phone turned off and then probably like use a shotgun and do it before I psych myself out of it. 14, 17, some years go by. Are you, oh, you diagnosed OCD by what age? I was diagnosed with OCD, I believe before high school started. So I think eighth grade, 14 or 15. It was that hard? Yeah. Oh, well, it wasn't too bad, actually. It was more so that pretty much what it came down to is I would like double check to make sure I turned off the lights in the house like five times before I would leave the house. It was like a ritual I had to do. Otherwise, I was afraid that the house was going to explode or something. So, but it got better. I tend to obsess over things still, (laughs) but I think it's better overall. I never had to take medication for it, Um, but it wasn't until my third attempt that I got diagnosed with believe it was major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder and PTSD. And then some slight uh, psychotic stuff too. But that was because of some of the, you had a psychotic breakdown last, that, that's a part of the whole thing. How old were you for the third attempt? What third attempt that? happened technically last year. The second attempt would have been in 2018 when I realized that I was gay because like, just because of the way I was raised, I it was very difficult. I was very scared at the time and didn't really know what was going on. And mm-hmm. I had all these feelings and I knew things that I've been told and it was at conflict with what was happening in my life. At the worst of that, I felt like I'd fallen in love with someone. I was like, oh, I want to spend my time with this person. I want to be there to help them in their sickness and in health. Like I want to be with them in old age. I want to be their partner in life. I want to do th- like life with this person. It's not just that I'm attracted to them physically or whatever. It was like, I was attracted to them on every level. I also wanted just to spend my life. with. I was like, I want to do this with you. And I actually want to live with you for like, and I don't feel that way towards people usually, you know? Oh yeah. It's amazing. I fucking never do. That's cool to hear. Like, I can't imagine like that even happened. I was like, once, and it, I wasn't expecting it to happen. It just happened. We were working together and, and we became close friends. And then the next thing that we knew was like, we both really liked each other and we both were raised very similarly. So we didn't really know what to do with that. 
I ended up sort of retreating back and taking space away. I did a lot of reading and research just where I got to a point where I was like, I feel comfortable in my own skin again, and I know I'm okay. And I just started to come out. Um, But before that, that was when my second attempt, which was kind of mild, but it was another choking attempt. It just happened once, but I remember wrapping my neck around the window curtain in my room and just trying to let my legs go limp. But then I would like stop because I was like, this is just going to break and not do anything. And I was crying. And that was just at the peak of my frustration with myself and not knowing if I was okay. And just in this conflict of like, if I am so built to love somebody and apparently God hates that, and I'm going to hell for that anyway, or I have to live a life single, whatever, you know, that I was raised to believe was like, I don't want to be here. Like, Mm -hmm. if if that's the case, like, it's just, it's such a scary place to be in. And I think that's when that happened. Thankfully, nothing bad really did happen. And I survived that and I was able to come out. But I believe in 2019 was when I came out to my parents and my siblings were very supportive and have been. And I'm very thankful for that. And I knew that the conversation with my parents wasn't, wasn't going to go that well, but I knew I, I had to be honest and tell them. It was the worst conversation I've ever had with anyone. Mm, they did not take it well, I'm guessing. No, they did not. No, no, they did not. It was the very typical response from somebody who's very conservative. Christian was just, you know, like, it's it's a natural, like, have you ever heard of, like, have you even read like whatever scriptures it is? And have you even done this and this? And I just think you're going to miss out on the best things in life. And like, you're just like listening to what the culture is telling you. And I think the worst thing was when I had mentioned that I was considering suicide before coming out because I just, I hated myself so much. And I, I was so at odds and so at war with myself that I just didn't want to be here anymore. And once I realized that I was okay, just the way I am, I no longer wanted to die. I was excited to live and I was looking forward to living. My dad's response to that was, you're just committing another form of suicide. You're just committing social suicide by being gay. And I didn't really know what to say to that. What could you say to that? Well, what is there to say in response to something like that? I don't know. They still love me. They didn't disown me and they didn't kick me out because I technically still here with them. But it was just very much, they didn't disown me. They still love me, which is great. They didn't kick me out, which is good. But it was very clear that they did not, were not happy with that. And they do not see me as actually being, they have other terms for it. Are any of your siblings gay? No, not that I know of. (laughs) My older brothers are married too. I think that that conversation though with them really made me plummet into deep depression. Sharing that vulnerable information with them, yeah, being honest with them, mm-hmm. I felt like having my parents plunge a knife into my chest and then twisting it. After that conversation, mentally, I just shut down and mm. became more afraid to be around them. And just the environment in the house shifted after that night. It was very, very difficult. And that was a month, like a month and a half before COVID hit. You didn't say how your mom responded. She was just like, what, what does this mean? I told her I was gay. She's like, what does this mean? (laughs) It's like, it's like, well, it means that someday I'm going to be with a guy. And she just looked so like surprised. They were so surprised too, which shocked me because I was a theater kid growing up. And all of my friends were girls and I would socialize with the girls because they were more emotionally mature than the guys. And I was always more mature than other guys my age, loved theater and just was very 
had effeminate qualities. So I was really sort of shocked when they were, I was not expecting them to be as surprised as they were. You, so you didn't, you didn't get the, oh, we knew since you were a little boy. Did anybody respond that way? My siblings did. They were like, we've kind of known for like five years. We've just been wondering when you were going to tell us. And I was like, how did everybody know before I did? That's <laughs> I funny. Right. That seems to be somewhat common. Yeah. All right. So you're out. You're still living with the folks. That has uh, been challenging, I imagine. Yes. When you told them you you sunk down. Yes. And yeah. So you had said you were, you were diagnosed. Yes. At some points, depression, anxiety. Did you say mild PTSD? If that's even a thing, can it, I don't know if PTSD can be mild. No, just, I think it was just PTSD. Well, um, I want to ask you. Usually, PTSD in the name is post-traumatic. So, is there a specific trauma? We're about to find out in therapy. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. You're not there yet. So you'll we'll have an addendum to this conversation. Not quite there yet. I just got a new yeah. therapist a couple of weeks ago. So in our first oh. session, we were talking, he was like, based on your background and your upbringing and what you're telling me you're dealing with today, he's like, do you feel these things? X, Y, Z. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, I'm honestly not going to, I'm going to be surprised if you don't have complex PTSD when we get into it. So, all right. So you're dealing with those, all of those kind of coexisting. Yes. And then last year. 2021 at some point you have a psychotic break it was insane i can get through it pretty fast but it's pretty crazy well and so you know i don't talk to a lot of people who have shared the details of psychotic breaks not only i'm curious and i'm glad you're open to sharing but you know i I want people to hear this stuff because like you said when you hear other people going through stuff you feel less shitty or less alone sometimes right so me saying this stuff now i'm just realizing how like, so not, oh, I guess embarrassing is the word. Given the fact that I was high every day, smoking weed so much. Basically what happened was I was going about life as usual. And then I remember starting to feel intense paranoia, like something was coming after me to get me. I remember calling out of work because I was so paranoid and staying home. And one night at like 4 a.m., I was just sitting up in my bed. And it felt like something was like walking into, it felt like something was coming into the room. Nothing was there, but that's what it felt like. I was so scared. I felt like something's in the room and it's going to kill me. And then all of a sudden I felt fine and relief. And it was like, I I heard the sound inside my head that sounded like crackling. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like a lot of my senses were restored. I don't know what happened, but that's what happened to my body. After that, I was still smoking weed a lot. I had a visual hallucination and I was at the park one night and this is when things got insane. I mean, just real quick, that sounds so fucking terrifying. Now I know about psychologically things, science, but during the time it felt like a very spiritual experience. Okay. Okay. Um, It felt very weird. It was scary. What happened was I remember one night I got out of work. I went to the park and I was swinging in the swing set. I was listening to music. And then the visual hallucination happened where I like remember thinking something was going to happen and then looking in the horizon and seeing some lights rise up in the horizon and the lights just kept going up and up. And then they started to come down and the lights like split up into multiple lights and they started to kind of move in a circle in the sky to where it literally looked like a UFO was kind of coming down at me. Of course, because I didn't realize what I experienced was a hallucination, I was like, oh my God, I just saw a UFO. I've never thought about this stuff before. I've never cared. 
But then all of a sudden it was like, after that hallucination, I got so obsessed with aliens and with mm-hmm. UFOs and with all that stuff combined with the drugs and TikTok algorithm. I started watching so many videos about UFOs, UFO sightings, UFO people talking about this stuff, EET stuff. I mean, the whole wazoo, Gaia TV. Combined with this was another symptom of a psychotic breakdown, which is sometimes if you're watching TV, it sounds like the people on the TV in whatever scene they're in, it sounds like they're talking to you. Mm -hmm. And the voices start to sound like they're coming kind of like out the TV screen towards you and they're directed towards you. And that's another side effect of a psychotic breakdown. Mm. So I had a couple of those things happen where I'd be watching a TV show and I'd be listening to these voices and it would sound like they were like almost coming out towards like talking to me and they were trying to communicate with me. How how long of a period of time are we talking about? We're talking from like February of 2021 through probably June or July of 2021. What? I was in psychotic mode. And your parents knew? They knew something weird was up. (laughs) They didn't know. They didn't know to the extent. I was keeping it under wraps. I was experiencing some heavy stuff, but I was acting like everything was fine. What kind of work were you doing? I was a barista. (laughs) <laughs> oh no okay you, you i can imagine you being a very good barista thank you sure. i wasn't bad so you, you didn't lose your job no but i did quit it um, and this is last year so we're still locking down we're in covid yep months of i let's call it like episodic or intermittent breaking yep the worst it got was to where because of one of the episodes i had where i was like listening to something through the tv screen this stuff combined with me also starting to discover the occult and terror and like that whole world. I got to the point where I literally thought, I thought that I was an alien, pretty much the second reincarnation of Jesus Christ, which I found is actually a common schizophrenic slash psychotic um, delusion to have that other people have had. I mean, if you look at you real fast and you're in your mid twenties, it's not that much of a stretch Fox. <laughs> I mean, you I'm not trying to make light of your psychotic break, but you have a Jesus vibe going on here. I know our podcast listeners can't see you. They can only hear you. This isn't a video podcast. It got to a point enlightened grandeur being sent to earth to help humanity evolve consciously. Wow. Yeah. Crazy awesome lives. And I thought that, I thought that aliens were going to invade in Mm -hmm. June. I thought they were going to make themselves known. I thought that they were going to come down and give us powers to like yeah. be able to fly and like do a bunch of cool shit. It'd be cool. It was kind of cool, to be honest. It was kind of fun. It, it, it got bad because yeah. it was like kind of fun for a while. Cause it was like, I was living in my own yeah. delusions and it was, I was smoking meat every day, sleeping in until three, just doing nothing all day, but like sitting out in the sun, eating a bunch of bad food and like, that's it. And like jerking off. Like that was my day. It wasn't bad, but it was like, I wasn't working. I quit my jobs. I was doing all that stuff. And, and your then, parents, what do they say? They were just, I mean, they were not happy, obviously. I also at the same time was like, yeah, I want to move out. Mm. So I had gotten, I had quickly then gone from being in this world of like, oh, all this stuff is going to happen. And I need to prepare myself for this invasion and prepare myself for what's about to happen. To then when June went by and then July went by, it was like each day I slowly started to realize something's wrong with me. Nothing's happened like I thought it would. No, obviously. There was no invasion, obviously. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be here having one. But I was also at the same time having to deal with people saying, oh, no, they're literally demons from like another dimension and don't talk. Because you were hanging out in those spaces and you were getting 
people were like, TikTok listening to all right, 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 right. And then, like you said, with the algorithm, they're going to give you everything that you want to get. Yep. And then some. It became an echo chamber too. So I reached a point to where I was moving out at the same time that I was realizing that all these things I thought were going to happen weren't actually going to happen. It sounds stupid, but I re- I entered a mode where I was like, wait, so if none of this is going to happen, like, why am I here and what's going on? And why am I, there's no point to any of this. And why mm-hmm. did all this stuff happen to me this year? And why has mm-hmm. all this stuff happened? And like, I didn't understand it. And I started to freak out because like, I would just work and be around people and they were all acting fine. And I was like, what? I, I just saw eight, like I, I've been seeing aliens and talking to things and things, spirits and whatever is going on. And I've been in this weird world all by myself mm. every day, like freaking out. And then it's like, I'm just trying to go back into life, get the work, move out. I moved out during that time. It was like, because of all this stuff that I thought was going to happen, didn't happen. I reached a point where I was like, well, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, and that's when the third attempt happened. It was the day after I'd moved out, I was mm. in the new place and I was lying in the bathtub. And I just started to to cut again on my wrist downwards. And I would try to like go hard enough to where I could get mm. through and actually start to break skin and to try to, I was like hoping that I could just make it bleed easily. And it was too hard to do it. And no matter mm. how hard, I was like, I can't, I can't fucking do it. Not easy to do it, man. No. I like hold the knife tip to like the part of my throat where the pit goes that kind of in right below the Adam's apple. And I was like holding that. I was like, I kept like, say like, just, just punch it. Just like do it fast i couldn't make myself do it at this time oh insomnia too wasn't sleeping for like five days so i thought i was i was going crazy because i hadn't slept for like four days totally and i just moved out and i just was sitting there and i just i walked out to my roommate and i just looked at her and i was just like i something's wrong who's her was my roommate basically that day parents came picked me up took me home i had a hard time speaking saying (laughs) words your parents, church-going folks, believe in the Bible. Their son, not that long ago, comes out as gay. Comes out, I guess you could just say, right? I'm wondering, does your, do your parents, maybe more your dad, is it almost for him like, told you so, this was a sin, and look what God is doing to you? Mm-hmm. So there was not a lot of empathy coming from either of them? There was some. Yeah. Uh, because what happened was it was like, I came home from the apartment and I started to explain that I was suicidal. I had a hard time communicating what I needed. They contacted some family and said like, there's a place nearby that we can go to, to get you the help that you need. And I remember them driving me there and I got there. It was like 2 AM and I was signing my signature like 19 times. That was when I admitted myself into a psychiatric hospital for the first and hopefully only time in my life on accounts of self-harm, depression, suicidal ideation. That was actually, unfortunately, a traumatic experience being there. It was like, I think I went into it expecting it to be an environment with butterflies on the wall and rainbows on the wall. And like, everybody's pretty chill and calm. And like, we're going to talk about things and you get to sleep in this room. That's nice. And yeah, yeah. And then I, as I realized, I was like, I'm so stupid. I should know when I got myself into when I walked in and then I had to get the zip ties in my shoes I had to strip down naked in front of the nurses. They had to examine my whole body, see if I had any other cuts. They had, I just, so it was like immediate humiliation. Yeah. Immediate, like dehumanization. It felt like, even though you're safe, we're here to help you, you know, just sign your name here and you can take the Xanax. You can take this Ativan. You can take these heavy benzos to calm your anxiety. Like you just have to sign your name. 
the whole time I couldn't even focus on healing because I was so afraid of how much it was costing. You can't even focus on getting the help you need because the whole time you're listening to other patients. Like there was this other guy laughing maniacally down the hallway most days. Patients getting into fights. One person wanted to press charges on another person while I was there. It's almost as if somebody said like, let's create a space that's the opposite of what healing is. And then the workers weren't even like, it was like, I felt like I was in a fraud. I felt like I was in some sort of a trap prison. And then you're the crazy one, of course, because you think that way. We're all here to help you. It's like, I I don't don't know if I'm buying this. So most of the time there, this was my face. Well, they can't see it, but most of my face was just. I kind of checked myself into the hospital. This was 2018. Like my doctor said to go. So I didn't know if he was like telling me to go, whatever. I was like, all right, no, you're right. I need help. I drive myself there. I get in. They take your shit, right? I'm like, wait, why would you take my shit? Nope, gone. Change. They take me to the ER. They didn't tell me what it was. So I'm in the ER. It's like, because they don't have enough beds. You're in this psych ER and you're just waiting, but no one's communicating with you, which is just weird. Like, why wouldn't you tell me? What's the secret? And after uh, about a day, I don't remember exactly. It might've been later that day or the next day. I went outside through the little curtain, find a guy that looks like he's in charge. I will never forget this shit. Cause you were talking about the people that are working there yeah. and I know he's busy. I know he's stressed. And I like, Hey, I don't know what's going on. You know, can I make a phone call? I want to let my sister know what's up. She's probably worried. Or at least, you know, just who knows? I just, and he's like, go back to your room. And I was a little confused. So I said, you know, nah, I, I just want to make a phone call. He cuts me off, raises his voice really loud and says, go back to your room or I will send your ass to the basement. And if you think this is bad, this is a place of healing. Fox. This is where you go to heal, paying whatever it came out to be, like two grand a day. Uh, you're just dumbfounded. And then when the doctor comes to assess me to see if I need to stay longer, which by the way, they're making money, he's evaluating me in part on my response to this very inhumane treatment and inhumane conditions. And I'm like, dude, you think if you were in this fucking room and no one told you what was going on and you were came in because you needed help and people were yelling at you, how would you respond? Like, come on. It was like one of these bizarre things. Like, I'm not going to engage you in this absurd conversation. And that, I think, was part of the reason that I had to stay longer. There might have been other things. And it might have been the place I needed to be. But it was like, wow. Being there didn't teach me how to heal. It taught me how to lie really well. It taught you how to lie. It taught you how to avoid ever going there again. How It was like, rate your depression on a scale of 1 to 10. I knew if I kept saying I was depressed and suicidal, they were going to keep me longer. More money. So rather than being able to feel like I could heal, I felt like I was in a position where I was like, each day I was calculating. I was thinking, I was like really trying to strategize this. I was like four, (laughs) four, three, two, just so that it was like, well, you seem to be doing a lot better. So we're going to let you go. So I only stayed only, I stayed for eight days. Right. When I went in, I thought it was going to be like a two day, three day thing. Some other guy was like, I've been here for two weeks. I was like... (laughs) I don't think people understand and and how could they, but it's, I don't think people understand, but it was very sobering. I can tell you that I came out of that. And after that, I was like, I need to start working on my shit. So interestingly enough, after I came out of there, I still had a phase where I was suicidal and I was like, I know, I don't think I'm going to make it to the end of 2022. And then I don't know out of all people, I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson. Oh, sure. He has a podcast and he did a biblical, a psychological analysis of the story of Genesis. So he starts talking about these stories from a psychological perspective in a way I've never heard before. Mm. And he starts to talk a lot about 
responsibility in life. And he talks about suicidal and he talks about a lot of things. For some reason, through listening to him and listening to those podcast episodes, I started to really confront a lot of the things I was facing in life, realizing that I didn't want to run away from this responsibility. And I think the thing that helped me the most was when he said, some people tend to think that they're worthless, that nothing matters, that life is meaningless, and that they're just dust in the wind. And that is one way to look at things. Another way to look at yourself, and maybe a more accurate way to look at yourself, is that you're a node in a network. And nodes propagate in network manners. You know a thousand people. Those people know a thousand people. That means that you're one person away from a million people and two people away from a billion people. So don't underestimate the power of your actions or your words or anything you do. And you matter and you you are literally a node in a network. And I think realizing that really helped me to realize what the impact would make if I were to die to the people mm-hmm. around. But then to realize in myself, like maybe there are things I can do for myself to help myself make my life better. And so I started to cut out a lot of the things. I, was, I started to cut out the drugs. I got sober. I used to watch, I used to watch a lot of porn. No shame or hate to anybody who like watches that stuff. But I realized for myself, I was like, I don't want to watch any of this stuff anymore. So I haven't, it's been good for me, I think. And I also went back to school, graduated, got my basic studies are all done. Got my associate degree. I've got academic ambitions. Now I want to go back to school to do something cool to better my life. And I also realized that I want to move out now. I'm my parents' house and I want to find a place of my own and, and start to go to therapy and heal and, and work on myself. And big year. Been insane. Any idea what your specific career ambition is, or is it sort of open? I'm going to become an occupational therapist assistant. So I'd be working with people who maybe lost an arm or maybe lost a leg and they need to know how to put on clothes or cook food or do basic things. And I would be hands-on helping them doing that. And I'm like looking at this occupation and looking at videos of people doing this work. I'm like, oh my God, like that's. I'd love that. I'd love to do that. So you will move out again, go back to school. You said in the beginning, and I don't know if this was something you wanted me to include in the actual podcast, that you're going to share some things that you've never talked about. Yeah. How many people know about attempt one, attempt two, and attempt three? Not many people. I would say my parents know about me self-harming in the third attempt. Mm -hmm. They knew about my self-harming senior, but that's it. Nobody knows about attempt one. Nobody knew about attempt two really until I sort of shared it slightly in an Instagram post I made, just talking about being queer and being at a point in life where I was so, so frustrated, fed up with myself and hating myself that I was wrapping window curtain around my neck, trying to choke myself to death. Third attempt, not many people know about, only really my parents and my closer siblings. Do you think you'll tell your therapist? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about all that with my therapist. This is actually for people a really hard question. Well, it seems that way because it's super sensitive. How many people, if any, do you have in your life that you can really talk to? I think I would say I'm very thankful for the fact that I can probably really talk to, really talk to maybe one or two. I can really talk to one or two if I need to, which if I didn't have anybody, I don't know. Mm. But they I don't know about the attempt. They know about some things, but not everything. And it's just hard to find people who can be okay and hold space for that kind of stuff. So no, oh, I got a few people to talk to, but I don't tell them about that thing because a lot, of, a lot of people don't really know how to, how to respond, which I can understand. I can't, I'm not as nice as you are. <laughs> I don't understand what, so <laughs> this is, I'm going to really put you on the spot. 
if you were writing a blueprint, so to speak, on how to respond, I mean, at least for you, what would be in it? I mean, we have to use like a super summarized version here, but what are like a few do's and don'ts? So I would say like, I'm imagining myself right now sitting down with somebody talking about how I'm feeling and sharing all those thoughts. And I would just want them to, first of all, like I want them just to sit with me. Listen is like the most important, one of the most important things. Just like actually listen. Don't just try to, don't just have something you want to say in mind, Mm -hmm. regardless of what they're saying, actually listen to what they're saying, be there to comfort them. I would say, I like people to like, be able to like, if it's someone I feel comfortable with, like touching me or like holding my, like being there, like to give me a gentle, like, if you want to hold my wrist or like put your hands on my wrist or my hands or like something to, so I feel physically comforted. Sometimes just saying like, that must be so hard. What do you need from me? Is there anything that you need from me that I can give you that's within Mm -hmm. my capabilities? So being a listening ear, simply saying, is there anything you need from me? And then I would say, remind giving back words of affirmation to the person who is feeling those thoughts, good words of affirmation that would help them with their feelings, not to respond and freak out. Like you're talking to a ticking time bomb because some people respond to you like you're a ticking time bomb and they don't know how to deal with it. So they start telling random people and they start saying, this person wants to die. I don't know what to do to help them. You gotta help them. Right. No, I would say just like be casual. Don't make a big deal out of it. Like I, I have somebody that I talk to who has dealt with self-harm and suicidal thoughts. And I guess just coming from me, knowing what it's like, it's, it's like, it's better to be casual with somebody and to not make it such a big, like, Oh, Dylan, don't make you, why are you feeling that way? And like, Oh, like just to listen and be like, I understand how you feel. Like I know how that feels and, and, and maybe to share a part of your life when you were struggling with something like that too. And then maybe how things did get better. And, but sometimes it's hard for people, things to get better. I think I tend to think of suicidal ideology and depression as this boulder that we carry sometimes. If, If we don't have a couple other hands helping us keep that boulder up in our lives and we're just alone trying to handle it at some point, the weight of the boulder is going to crush us. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of when, how long can we hold on? until we run out of strength. Agree with everything you said there, yeah. Have other and I don't always agree with people, by the way, but I am agreeing with you. This isn't the fucking Sean show. Jesus. That would have almost no listeners, Fox. <laughs> they would be like, what the fuck is this? I want out. I'm going to go listen to some Jordan Peterson, dog. 25 years old, is that right? Yeah. You know what my next question is? You know what it is, because I know you've listened to the podcast. So for context, to remind the audience here, you were a guy... Since you were small, always thought he was going to die by suicide. Yeah. Went through a whole lot of stuff, had a few attempts, various diagnoses. This has been a sounding like a pretty solid year for you. So maybe if I asked you last, last year, your, your answer might be very different, but we're not talking last year. We're talking right now. The, the highest number I heard at any point was 30, if I remember correctly. Like, I'm not making it past 20. I'm not making it past 20, 30. When you're not that far away from 30, can we assume that you're going to make it? Is that a fair assumption or would that be foolish of us? I would say I hope I make it. And I hope that life, the scenarios in life do not leave me in such a dark place as I felt last year. I hope that I never reach a point in my life again where the light at the end of the tunnel is my strategy to leave. I would hope to not have to fall into that headspace again. I don't know if it'll happen, if I'll reach that headspace, hopefully. And I'm doing a lot of things now to help myself toward that shouldn't happen. And I hope it doesn't. I have made 
a personal commitment to five more years of life, Lord willing. 25, I want to make it five more years. There's a mini project I'm working on that's kind of small, but it's something fun. It's There's a song that I listen to, and one of the lines in the song is, let's see where we lie in five years' time. And then there's a great drop. It's a great sounding song. <laughs> but I had this idea of like, oh, what if I made a video of myself now at 25? Mm. And then it jump cuts to me five years later in the video. So I made the first part of me at 25 now. So I was like, well, I want to be around for five more years so I can finish this video project. Mm. So that's one tiny thing where I'm like, yeah, it's a silly thing, but I think it'll be good. I hope to die of old age or like from some sickness maybe, but like I hope to live a full life. And I, I think what I would say is I hope that the circumstances in life make it feel like life is worth living and being in. If I can someday wake up next to somebody I get to spend the rest of my life with, I'm in a job that's good for me. Let's say I have a community, people around me who love me for me, and I'm able to express myself fully. I would like to live a life like that, I think. Did you say Lord willing? Yeah. So given what you shared about your upbringing. Yes. It's and then you're dabbling in the occult is a straight up question. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I would say so. But I would say it's a lot different from when I was a kid. I I did a lot of deconstruction in like 2019 of a lot of big things like, what do I think about hell, salvation, other people who are different religions, uh, random topics, hot topics like abortion, anything. I started to just go through all these big things and I started to really deconstruct them and what I thought about things. And I started to do a lot of reading and researching to like, like what makes the most sense and where am I sensing the most peace and what's what's lining up. And so a lot of the things that I used to believe, I no longer believe, but I still am like, yeah, there's a, there's a higher, I believe in a higher power. And a, there's a lot I don't know. I would say I still believe in God, but it, it looks a lot different now than it did when, when I was younger. I would say that it's, I would say it's evolved better. I think it's healthier than it was when I was younger. Do you believe, what about heaven and hell? I'd like to believe that this world is filled with so much suffering that there's something nice on the other end of this, or just to feel at peace. I think that's, infinite eternal peace would be like chef's kiss would love that to never have anxiety again i'm very open-minded so like the idea of like oh maybe we just do maybe this is just it and we don't exist anymore nothing happens but i've experienced i think the thing is i've experienced too many and heard too many paranormal stories and just like my own life and other people and just in general and in values i i tend to think that there's something more to all this so that's nobody ever asked me that question. Nobody has ever asked you that question. People don't go around saying like, what do you think about heaven and hell? I think that for me, the idea of you didn't hear the exact right prayer or hear the exact secret myth, like the exact meshes of something happened. You didn't say the right prayer. didn't quite hear it. You maybe you grew up in a different culture and you hear the right thing. Oh, sorry. You get to burn like literally like being in an eternal oven at 500 degrees Fahrenheit for the rest of eternity because a father, like imagine you are a father and you have a son and your son has done bad things. Maybe your son doesn't like you as a, as a father. Your son has done mean things. You decide one day, you know what, that son, I'm going to put him in an oven and I'm going to crank that oven to a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm going to let my son burn in that oven for eternity. Right. You would never, a human would say, I would never do that to my son. Yeah. I love my son so much. So the thing, the idea is like, okay, so how much more do you think an infinite, all-knowing, divine being that can't even fathom or comprehend might love you as a person? And you think that that God, like any God that would put somebody in that place and never, ever, like that idea is just, I realize there's something that was like, that can't be the case. 
this is an argument that a lot of us folks who didn't grow up that way tend to make. Like it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. You know what happens with Hitler? You know what happens with all these people who've done really mean things? Like how are there? How, where is the justification? Where is the justice done? Where if they've done evil, is mm-hmm. that evil somehow like judged at some point in existence? And like how does that? What does that look like? I've read a few books that have helped me with these topics though. Like none of these, like I couldn't get to where I'm at today if I hadn't read books and, and, and like really opened up to ideas and just to understanding. And like, what was interesting is through all this, I found, I think that my relationship with God feels a lot more genuine and healthy because there's not all these anxiety factors and fear factors that mm. I had when I was 14 or 15, you know, crying myself to sleep every night, constantly trying to say a prayer to make sure I wasn't going to go to hell. And like, if you're familiar with super religious people who believe in like the rapture where people will disappear on you. One time I came home and my parents fucking went hiding upstairs and I didn't realize they were hiding. They wanted me to think that the rapture happened, that I was all alone. I was like running through the house and like, mom, dad, where are you? Mom, dad, freaking out because they weren't answering. And then I would hear giggling. I heard giggling upstairs and I went upstairs and I found them hiding and I just started crying. I went to my room and I cried. They thought that it was funny, obviously. Do you think your parents will hear this podcast? Nope. I, I got to tell you, I know you love them, but man, from a couple of things you've shared, it's a tough sell right now, man. This is not a space for me to judge in any way. And I don't know them at all, but it's like, come on. Okay. Yeah. Could you, but we could argue, posit that people are doing the best they can, even if it doesn't always look like it. That's what I would say. And, you know, this isn't a justification for people treating people shitty, but there's reasons. And just how you had weird shit in your childhood and you do weird shit. Same for them. Same for me. It's like a weird one, right? It's like, whoa. People go to therapy because they've been hurt by people who should have gone to therapy. (laughs) Yes. That's the saying. But, you know, I mean, my dad had a rough. It's not for me to say, but I know some things that happened to my dad. I understand that he has a lot of trauma. Yeah, It's a lot. This is actually the last question I think I have. Yep. Are there any myths around any of these things we've talked about? I wanted to say this because some people actually do believe this. And I just want at least one person to say this somewhere in the world on a podcast somehow. A lot of really superstitious people. Well, maybe somebody said this on the podcast, but this is really superstitious people. Uh, some people believe like, will try to call depression or anxiety. They'll try to give it a spirit. So they'll be like, oh the spirit of depression and the spirit of anxiety and the spirit of suicidal ideology is ravaging this person. And, uh, you know, like, oh, self-harm is demonic, which means you're being demonically influenced, mm. all that stuff. If, if you are dealing with somebody who is struggling and is depressed and suicidal and they are self-harming, telling them that there's probably a demon influencing them or telling them that they're being like, it's probably not going to help their mental health. Or if you're trying to say there's a spirit of anxiety that you have to deal with. It's not going to help somebody to try to add this whole metaphysical realm to something that can be like, no, you have clinical depression. You have clinical anxiety. Here is some medication that can help you with this. You know, there's this whole, I don't know how to explain it other than to say, you know, these things aren't, don't, don't try to turn things into spirits, like concepts like anxiety or depression. It doesn't help people. Does that make sense? I don't yeah, know. If yeah, I- yeah. Well, there's a presumption though. Why are we assuming that they want to help you? Assuming who? You, you, uh, so if I'm understanding, don't tell people, for example, who are dealing with, let's say, major anxiety that it's the spirit and 
you know, maybe they should go seek a religious institution over a therapist. I'm sure some of them, we generally hear, I'm sure some of them mean well. I think some of them don't. I don't think they want to help you because you had said that won't help. And I'm thinking, I don't know if they want to help. I think they want to preach. Or I'm not sure that the helping is actually the main thing. It's like secondary. Yeah. I mean, one time I used to go to a, I mean, I used to go to a church. I don't go to anymore, but I used to go to a church where I was talking to somebody and opening up about my depression and that I was taking medication. Somebody that was on staff at the church essentially was saying like, you don't need to take that medication. Like God will heal you of this. Just have enough faith. You don't need to take that medication. If I was not smart enough to distinguish the bullshit in that, that's a very dangerous thing to tell somebody, especially if they are like not gullible, but if they're easily like, oh yeah, I want to listen to you because you seem like a righteous, good person. And you're telling me God can heal me. Yes. I'm going to get rid of my medication. You might have somebody literally kill themselves. Oh yeah, for sure. Because you told them to get off medication. And so yeah, it's not might that that's happened a lot. Yeah. Did that person also give you a pamphlet for a conversion therapy? (laughs) Thankfully not. But when I did get out of the hospital, one of the therapists that my dad recommended was literally coached by somebody who was coached by a guy named Joseph Nikolai. If you don't know who Joseph Nikolai is, just one Google search will show you that he is not a good dude. He's um, the guy. He's the conversion therapy guy. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, let me let me guess. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say he's also really fucking rich. Probably. I don't know. Anything else you'd like to share? I know it's a very big open question, but I often we leave stuff out and. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing I would end with would just be, you know, I'd read recently a statistic from, I believe it was the trevorproject.org. They are a national, they're a LGBTQ suicide hotline slash mm-hmm. mental health company organization, nonprofit organization that mm-hmm. they help people. One of the statistics was like LGBTQ individuals who are very much so rejected by close family members after coming out are eight times as likely to commit suicide as a straight counterpart, something like that. So I just would hope that anybody listening to this who knows somebody who's queer, like you might have a queer friend, you might have somebody in your family who's queer, you might know somebody who's queer. You probably do. And you probably will at some point because maybe a little nephew or little cousin or a little niece right now that's growing up might come out someday. Please be nice to them. <laughs> Please don't, don't say what my parents said. Please be nice to them and stop, stop hurting queer people by using words that you think is helping them because you have a harmful theology that you would rather protect than to accept all parts of your son or your daughter or whoever, please just listen and be willing to learn something. Maybe you don't know, be willing to listen to stories, be willing to just be nice, be nice. Queer people need affirmation and acceptance and to feel like they're fine. They're loved and that they're in a safe environment. It is very, very difficult for a queer person when their environment does not affirm of them. That's why so many have to flee. And from houses, they have to move out real fast. They get kicked out. Some people get kicked out. I am thankful that my parents did not kick me out because some people have to deal with that. And unfortunately, of course, my parents don't see, they see, oh, you're doing depression and your anxieties because you're gay. Obviously, that's just a punishment for being gay. Totally not the fact that we said you were just committing another form of suicide by being gay. And it's totally not a fact that we 
I don't want to, I mean, I'm being, I'm having a pity party now, but, but <laughs> okay. I, I would just say to people like, please listen to queer people. And if you are queer and you're struggling with yourself and you're feeling like you don't, I just want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you. You are loved just as you are. There's nothing wrong with you for who you love, how you love. And if you believe in a higher power, if you believe in God, I believe that that God loves you and accepts you as you are. Now, I'm going to add something to that. Okay. These are my words, not yours. I don't know much about Jesus. Here's what I think I know. If someone were to come out to him, he'd be really fucking nice. Um, I don't know that for sure. Don't know much about the man. I think he know much about Christianity from what I know about the book, the Bible and its teachings. And it's, I think that's not only how he would be. I think that's what it's all about. I literally think that entire book is essentially just do that more. Now there's a lot more to that book and I know people interpret it and that justifies all kinds of things that get in the way of doing that. But this is Sean, the Jew from New York saying, I think you got it wrong. I know you found community and I know you were raised a certain way. And I know you're not going to listen to this because I'm pretty sure you aren't listening to my podcast, but there might be one random person who found me. They're driving somewhere and they're listening to me and it's like, yeah, just be nicer more often. And I think you mostly have the religion perfectly done there. No one had to teach me shit. I know that don't always live it, but I know it. I appreciate that. You yeah. talked about that. Love that. I found it interesting too that Jesus tended to be most frustrated with the people who were most religious. Oh, right. The whole thing is, isn't it the whole thing about the, the people who are most marginalized and most downtrodden? Those are the people you're serving. Yeah. You need to stand up for and defend the oppressed and the marginalized and help them. That's what Jesus is here for. That's literally what the whole point is. We literally have churches saying, sorry, if you're gay, you can't serve on the leadership team here sorry, you have to find another church or we, you know, we'll accept you here, but you know, you're living in sin and don't even get me started. Sean. Oh, I know there's a lot there. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. You know what, uh, Fox, you have been, I wrote this down, literally, literally wrote this down. So I didn't forget it when you said this earlier. And I wanted to thank you because you are now an official node in my suicide noted network. <laughs> Forever moving forward because a podcast, well, maybe not actually forever, but it's going to be around for a while. Yeah. So people will hear your voice for a long time, which is great. I hope so. I hope that my story helps people not feel so alone. I mean, oh, I'm sure it will. I don't know. It's cool to hear that you're trying to do good stuff for yourself. So, yeah, I'm really trying. Mm. It's not easy. No. No one ever said it would be easy, but sometimes I wonder, nobody really said it'd be this fucking hard either. I like that expression. I like that. Yeah. I haven't heard it that way. I like taking these stupid platitudes and flipping them. And then, yeah, because it's just so annoying. I'm glad you're in a space or spot that you searched for it and that you ultimately reached out, man. It's great. Thank you for having me and thank you for creating this platform. It's going to do really good things. I know it's it's already has. And And it's my pleasure. Thank you, man. Be well, man. Thanks again. Have a good one. You too, Vox. Take care. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Fox down in Texas. Thank you, Fox. 
If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted, and you can follow a link in the show notes if you'd like to leave us a recorded message. And of course, thanks to our most recent supporter who sent us a donation via the Red Circle. That is where we host Suicide Noted. They do not give me any other information other than you donated. So we don't have a name or a way to contact you, but we really do appreciate it. Thank you. And check the show notes for upcoming events, including Suicide Noted personal stories by some badass storytellers. And that is all for episode number 124. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.